Hey, this is Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney. We're in Salt Lake City. Our show tonight is called Gays, Cops, and Brothers in the Lord. I don't know why cops is in there, to tell you the truth, but uh, it's there. And uh, why don't we kick it off with a word of prayer? Uh, Lord, we uh, gather with people here and people who are at home and watching at work and listening on podcasts and from the archives, and we just pray your spirit will be with us and Help us to speak the truth in love, and, uh, but not back down from what uh, is, uh, is of you, but uh, not be judgmental and critical and condemning of anybody who walks around on this earth. And, and so we seek to approach things that way and open up our minds and ears to the things you want us to know. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Got a lot to cover from you all. We've had a number of emails and insights and criticisms of things that have been on Heart of the Matter in the past month, and we haven't really talked about them because we've had guests and all sorts of other things. But a couple of matters of information. Two uh, weeks from now, on Friday, March 30th, in Salt Lake City, there's going to be a march downtown to support Sam Young and his drive to get the LDS Church to stop uh, interviewing uh, children 18 and under, uh, about their sexual lives behind closed doors and without uh, being accompanied by a parent. And uh, it's a practice that the LDS Church defends to this day. In the news today, there's a big story of uh, how this type of thing has led to some real trouble. Just came out, I think, today. I'm not going to cover it. It's covered by John DeLynn and everybody else on social media. People say you should stay uh, covering Mormon stuff. Everybody covers Mormon stuff now. I mean, we cover the doctrinal stuff. It's still there. But, I mean, the current events, the focus is there. And it's not that it shouldn't be. It should. And there's a lot of people who are doing it. John's doing it. And New Name Noah's doing it. And, and uh, 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 Doris Hansen's doing it. And different ministries, Sandra Tanner's doing it. And so that stuff is still there. But the current event stuff still happening and uh it's being covered worldwide immediately they're in some serious hot water with this uh, latest thing if it tr proves to be true but anyway i've never supported any kind of march but we had sam on the show and i heard his heart about this and i was i was subject to these interviews uh, uh too it didn't come up in the interviews but when the bishop used to ask me uh sean do you masturbate i swear to you i said do you <laughs> and of course that didn't uh, garner a lot of love from the bishop at the time, but uh, that's when I learned, you know, this is just, you know, ridiculous, smart aleck that I am. Anyway, 451 South State Street, and that's right across from the courthouse, east of the courthouse, across State Street. There's a big old building there. It's the old city building. They're going to meet there at 12 noon, Friday, March, March 30th. They're going to go up about five blocks, four and a half blocks to church headquarters, straight on up uh, to State Street, and then they're going to make a quick left. So uh, I'm pretty sure we committed, our ministry committed to uh, supplying uh, a thousand sandwiches and food for guests. I hope Derek remembers that. And uh, anyway, be there or be square. Had a phone conversation with a Baptist pastor. He called from uh, back southeast uh, last week. And he turned me on to a guy named Roger Williams from the 17th century, church fame. He's the guy who founded, I think, Rhode Island. And I have quickly grown a tremendous appreciation of Roger Williams' spirit and his strong stance 
against organized religion. The guy kind of was really all about Christianity as an organized thing, and then he left it eventually, and he just became an itinerant uh, guy who preached uh, the good news. He didn't even associate with religion, but he was especially uh, against separation of church and state. This was back in the 1700s, something I have long maintained as essential to the faith. Uh, because uh, the idea of theocracy and theonomy uh, makes me sick. And uh, I, I think that it, it, uh, it creates a big problem with what Christianity truly is from a biblical sense and then what Christians make it to be in a political sense. So to me, I know it's radical, but to me, American evangelicals are nothing more than uh, uh, the American Taliban today. That's how I see it. It's, it's a religious organization trying to get things done their way, and I've never been uh, for it. But I got to thinking about these heroes like Roger Williams, and I think we're going to start doing some short clips on the lives of, a, of these different types of Christians. We all hear about the people, you know, who have gone and done great things in the, in the cause, you know, Wilberforce and, and uh, different people who have done things over the course of history, Luther, of course. But uh, we're going to start to do some short things on Heart of the Matter so that you can see that if you're a little bit different uh, of a Christian walk, there's people like you. For instance, Peter Abelard or Abelard and Heloise and uh, Erasmus, Dostoevsky, uh, Michael Cervatus, uh, Tolstoy, Thomas Jefferson. Wasn't necessarily a Christian, but he loved God and he had some very interesting views. Uh, Balthazar Hubmeyer, these guys... Uh, Hans Denk were all part of the Anabaptist movement, put to death for their faith. Um, uh, Fausto Sozzini, who, who really did not believe in the Trinity, and he came out and talked about that. Uh, a guy named uh, John Thomas, who founded a church called Christadelphianism, and uh, that's a unique thing. I'm not saying I agree with everything these guys represented, but they're unique Christian men and women who we'll cover and do a little short highlight on. So look forward to that as the list grows of great men and women who have uh, been brave enough to uh, stand up to some doctrines that they just didn't agree with. And instead of just pushing them over in the corner like they have been because the majority rules, uh, we're going to try to bring them out. So stay tuned to that. Uh, let me work backward uh, in order. And so we go back over the past few weeks. Last week, I think it was last week, our uh, brother Nate Taylor. Was that last week? Last week, Brother Nate. First of all, just some comments. I think uh, Pastor Nate, uh, smart guy, and, and he was kind, and it was a fun. I really enjoyed having him on the show, and uh, he has his opinions and his views of things, but I see him as a brother in Christ uh, and as a lover of Jesus without question. Second, I think that uh, he may have some great insights on Scripture that I lack, but I do believe Nate is missing a key element when it comes to end-time studies. And I believe that's uh, just because uh, when you come to preterism or fulfilled eschatology, which means you believe it's done, it's really hard for people to embrace that because there's a lot at risk. There's a church back in Colorado. I, was, I went back there a couple of years ago and met secretly with a group of pastors and leaders uh, who will remain nameless, but they are nationally known who are preterists and who do not believe in eternal punishment, they are pastors. And one of them lost an entire, me almost mega church because he came out and he admitted, yeah, I just don't 
see eschatology the way that everyone else sees it. And so there is a heavy price kind of to pay for it. Wisely, Nate knew that eschatology is a big point between us when we talked, and that's why he started right out, much to my surprise, of talking about the resurrection. I did not expect that at all, spiritual or physical. I didn't expect that to come. But for those who are still confused about, about how different we are, I want you to just imagine that here is the Bible, and it's, and, and it's sitting there in Old Testament and New Testament, and you're looking at it this way, and then here is Nate, and here I am. And then underneath us, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of list what Nate thinks about the Bible and what its meaning is to us, and then what I think about the Bible. So you just have that Bible, you have Nate, and you have me, and you have a, a line drawn to each, all right? Nate believes that all physical things in the New Testament, as far as he can discern, as well as many prophecies, still apply to us the way they did in the New Testament, um, including Jesus' second coming being prophesied as coming. He believes that's on its way. I believe that all physical things in the New Testament, all prophecies and events that are there, including the second coming, have happened. So when we look at the Bible and we read it, Nate is seeing it that way as having absolute material application to us today. And I'm seeing it as being fulfilled materially, but having spiritual application to believers today. Nate takes the Bible and he uses it, in my estimation, without any authority, without any authorization within the Bible. It doesn't give him an authorization to do this or any pastor to do it, but he takes it and he uses it as a manual of orders of what people need to follow and do. And, 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 and I, on the other hand, teach that the Bible is a book of spiritual principles and that it, it uh, is discerned by the hearer, by the spirit, according to them and their maturity level and their place and walk and how long they've been in the word and things like that. So we see it that way. I th believe the Spirit is primary, and the person uh, is to rely on the Spirit and their reading and hearing the Word and not the interpretations and traditions of men. So that's how we see it. I see it that way, and then Nate sees it the other. Uh, Nate, as I said, he thinks that the promise of Jesus' return to end this world uh, and get, gives material hope to Christians today that they need to look to an end of school shootings. He brought up that, that up twice. It, we need to believe in the hope that Jesus is going to come back and put an end to the horrible opioid crisis and the, all the uproar with Me Too and Black Lives Matter and, and all the horrible things, crime and wars that go on. Nate believes that preaching Jesus is coming back is essential to giving people a hope, not central to the gospel. And this demands, what he believes demands, doctrinal allegiance to his interpretation of the Bible. You see, because if he's coming back, Nate is teaching, if he's coming back, you better be ready. That's what the New Testament says. He's right about that. And so if Jesus hasn't come back, you better be, you see. Uh, I believe the Bible clearly shows that he has returned without question, and I am not alone in this. And he has introduced a resurrection now that is constantly happening. So 
Nate believes that Christ is going to come back and take up his church and, and that whole thing, and, and, and then the earth's going to be destroyed and, and, and all that. And I'm saying that Jesus took his church at the destruction of Jerusalem, gave judgment to them, and that he took it up, the bride and that whole thing. So what happens to us now? This is what happens to every Christian for the past 2,000 years. You live your life in anticipation of meeting Jesus the way they did in the early church. And you die. And at death, there is judgment. You're lifted up from this world, as most near-death experiences talk about. You leave this world. You go to a different place. You then are rewarded by God with your resurrected body, which is a spiritual body, as 1 Corinthians 15 says. And you go on to live your eternity, having been judged, lifted up to Jesus, given a resurrected body, and it's done the way it all happened to the church back in the day. Nate believes in church discipline. He should. They had church discipline back in the New Testament times. I think there's no need for it anymore because now every individual is responsible before God. Nate teaches tithes. I don't. I don't think there's any need for them anymore. I don't think the material church has a hand in people's lives like that anymore. Nate is still trying to operate through elders, boards, and deacons, and I don't th- see a need. He believes that uh, debates and, uh, and that we should, he believes in debates and that we should divide over biblical uh, differences. I don't believe there's such a thing. I think we should be united. We're all going to differ along the way anyway. He believes, and this is a tough one for people, that uh, Satan is still walking about as a roaring lion and he's tempting and trying and he's causing people to do horrible, evil things and that when people die, they're going to go to a hell that's fiery and burning them forever and ever and ever and ever. And I think contextually, and I don't make this up, I think that Satan and hell have been cast into the lake of fire, that they are done with. I still think there is evil in this world because mankind's evil in and of ourselves. And I think darkness reigns. And, and so darkness will always influence us to do evil. So I, but I just think the character Satan in the Old Testament and part of the New wasn't, isn't, isn't necessary for evil to exist. And, uh, and of course, he believes that his interpretation of the Bible is sound and good, like any pastor would. And, uh, and I just believe that we study the Word and we see if it's what we can discern, and we let the Spirit guide. So in the end, I'm convinced Nate's model has never been intended by God. And, uh, I, and I just think that has been glossed over. It's been overlooked. And we have, for 2,000 years, tried to take the New Testament story and replicate it. And I think it is, uh, I don't think God has authored it. And I think, I think the results of doing it have proven themselves. Whether you look at Catholicism, you look at the, the uh, Reformation, you look at what's happened because of that, the, the thousands of people who have been killed over religion, the infighting, the hatred, the money, the manipulation, the uh, uh, sexual assaults of boys and children, all of it is part of material, organized religion seeking power. And, you know, people, they're moved by the Spirit through faith in Christ by God, and they don't ever need to walk into a church. I think churches are fine to gather and study the Word, but they just aren't necessary the way they were in the New Testament. Okay. I got this email from Brother Kev in Alabama. It says, recently you had Dr. James White, so we're talking about White now, 
on your show telling you how wrong you are than you had a Presbyterian pastor who would not call you a brother in Christ over theological differences. A, it greatly troubles me when people within the church tell you how wrong you, Sean McCraney, are. It bothers me because I was raised front and center inside evangelicalism and understand how judgmental people can be. I have been an ordained minister myself, and it really bothers me when you become a victim of religious pride. I wish I could be there to warn and counsel you, but I know you're not an idiot and already understand what's going to happen, but it hurts to watch nonetheless. I have come across a message on YouTube that I believe is not only relevant but informative and would be inspiring to you. It's from Dr. Heiser, a biblical scholar. Maybe you've heard of him. He's had run-ins with Matt Slick as well as other gatekeepers in the faith. He, it, this is not uh, Dr. Heiser's normal topic, and he is not the most exciting speaker, but you should watch. So it's on YouTube. You look, it's about 40 minutes long, and it's from Dr. Heiser. And I, I haven't looked at it yet, and, but I just want to say I will do it. And it seems the Spirit of God speaks through you, Kev, when you send something like this. There's a kindness. There's a, a gentle outreach. There's a, yeah, I, it's really bad when we are doing this to each other, and it shouldn't happen. Consider this material. And I will, and I'll let you know what I think. Uh, next, my brother and friend, Eric, he's gonna, he wrote something really interesting. Uh, he says, Brother Sean, something interesting I thought I'd share with you about near-death experiences. Not one person who has had an NDE, verified dead body that has been resuscitated, has ever has been told or shown that this church or that church is the true church. Not one. That's interesting. He says, I've read countless, and he has, read countless NDEs, and not one person is ever told or shown that any denomination is God-approved church or doctrine. Just thought I'd let you know. God bless my brother. And then he followed up with a few more insights. Another email, he said, one of my admins is an NDEer named Robert Osgood. I sent you a link to his YouTube NDE interview a few weeks back. Anyhow, during his NDE, he had millions of questions for Jesus. He asked him, which church is the true church? I'm paraphrasing. And Jesus replied to him, all of them and none of them. <laughs> that sounds like real wisdom from Jesus, doesn't it? He, Jesus, said that the importance was the love they had for him and each other. That's what he said Jesus answered him. Also, well-known NDEer Howard Storm, his book is My Descent Into Death, who also saw and felt Jesus' love said to me personally, I've spoken with him on the phone, God is not so concerned with our theology as he is with our hearts. This has been a, a, a thumping point of everything we've been doing on Heart of the Matter for a number of years. It is the heart. There's not a the theology exam. It, there can't be. And so all the differences which cause our hearts to hate and divide and criticize and malign are, are stupid. They're being wasted, right? He says, this is in harmony with what you teach at campus. It's why I'm drawn to the ministry. You get it from preterism to subjective Christianity. It all dovetails into the NDE. 
like a beautifully woven rug. As an FYI, uh, Eric is the one who heads up an NDE group called The Christian Near-Death Experience, and the guy knows his stuff. I had a phone conversation with him recently, and the exciting thing is we're going to have him on the show. We're going to do a two-hour special with him because he knows the, uh, the whole NDE thing. He knows the criticisms of it. He knows the, the things where you say, well, it's just your brain firing off and the last stuff. He has unbelievable stories that I'm sure he'll bring and he'll share with us from all over the world of people who have had these experiences who have been verified dead. There's not a spark going off. They're gone, dead, flatlined over, no breath, dead. And we had uh, talked about one a few months ago, maybe last year, uh, about a woman who was like underwater for a solid 17 minutes, drowned 17 minutes. She flatlined. She's a physician in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, not a believer until she went and had that experience, came back and said, there's an afterlife as real and, and, and as this one. And it changed her whole worldview. Well, Eric's going to come. He's going to share with us all these things. We hope you'll get ready for that because you can call in and, and give him your uh, cynicism and, and critical uh, examination of the stuff. I have never believed or looked to anything like this. But of late, I'm, he, Eric has touched me with some of the things that these people are coming back and saying. And it's really interesting to me. I can't wait to talk to him about the near-death experiences of people of other faiths. That's what's of interest to me. And, uh, and, you know, and just to see what this is really going to uh, play out with, with people who have flatlined. I mean, we're not going to play a game here and take people who are like, oh, I passed out and Jesus came to me. And we're not going to take people who are, you know, uh, describing what we need to know now because God sent them back. To, I don't really buy that too much. But people who just simply want to tell what happened, I think they're worth listening to and criticizing. So look forward to that. Finally, I'm sorry, I'm losing my voice more and more the older I uh, get. I got to stop smoking pot. That's a joke. My lungs could never take it. I maybe smoked pot twice and three times in my entire life. I eat it. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Okay, uh, I got two emails, and they are really well written. And to answer them, my answer to them is going, go my answers are going to kind of dovetail over with each other. And they forced me to put my thinking cap on because uh, I stirred up something big with people when I talked about homosexuality is a sin. I mean, today's world, man, that is just not something you say. And so we got an email from Aaron M. And then we have one from Jordan in Oceanside, California. Now, as I said, both these emails are loaded with good insights. And uh, when it comes to a polarizing incendiary topic like gays and God, uh, it's really easy to be misunderstood, take a misstep, say something wrong, you know, use the word fag or something. And then, I mean, that's a real word that people have used. And that can come out and then everybody blows up over the political incorrectness of it. And you're a hate monger and it's just ridiculous. We just need to talk and realize we're humans and we're trying to communicate. And of course, I wouldn't use that word. Uh, uh, maybe when I was in seventh grade and didn't understand things, I might have, but not today. So 
I hope God will navigate us through these emails. So we're going to talk to Aaron. Um, his approach is more theological. Jordan's is more humanistic. And so we're going to get both approaches and we'll talk. So Aaron writes, and I'm going to answer, I'm going to read some of his and then answer. I'm read and answer rather than read the whole thing. Homosexuality and gluttony are not sins. That's the first sentence. On your show last week, you stated homosexuality and gluttony missed the mark of God and thus were sins. Adultery is not a sin. Murder is not a sin. Theft is not a sin. There is no sin. Sin was done away with in Christ. Sin always implies a law. There is no law. There is no mark. Okay, some real truths there. I get what he's saying but there's some overextension in my estimation of his thinking. Uh, I am the first one to admit that the law and the letter kills and that the presence of the law is the author of sin. I understand what he's saying there, but we have to remember the context of what Paul was saying when he talked about the letter killing and the law. And they, he was primarily talking about the law under which the Jews sweated their daily existence under, and external rites and rituals, even doctrines written in stone. Okay, done. We are done with that. Laws written in stone, written in ink, done with that. Uh, laws of purity, laws of sanctification, laws of ritual, uh, done with all of that. Uh, and so that's a really good point that Aaron makes. But in relation to those written moral laws, which Aaron mentioned, like no adultery is not a sin, murder is not a sin, uh, Jesus did something with those moral laws, those Ten Commandments written in stone. He amplified them. He did not do away with them. He amplified them. Uh, do you remember what he said to the woman uh, to, uh, about adultery? He said, it has been written that thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that if you even look upon a woman with lust, you have committed adultery already in your heart. You see, he took a, a basic commandment, which was a law. And he said, I'm not going to even talk about that one. I'm going to give you something that's amplified and even more difficult to obey. That's what he did. That's what he did with the law. You have heard it said that thou shalt not kill. I tell you, you don't even uh, be, get angry unrighteously with somebody. Because he amplified it and made it even more difficult is what he did. All right. So it's all about in your heart. He didn't remove the directives. He amplified them. Aaron wrote, there is no sin. Sin was done away with in Christ. Sin always implies a law. There is no law. There is no mark. And I agree with this in part. I agree with there is no sin. Sin was done away with in Christ. Sin always implies a law. Okay. All of these statements are true relative to sins committed past, present, and future. True, true, true. And I made it clear that the sin of homosexuality on the show is done. Christ took care of the sin. That is not the, it's not the point of whether uh, that sin is forgiven or not. We aren't talking about that. Forgiven, done, paid for once and for all by Jesus. And so Aaron again is right when he said, sin always implies a law. 
I'll stand with them on that. So we get rid of the law and the onus of sin is removed. But he makes a fatal flaw in his logic when he says relative to discussion, there is no law. That is not true. That is absolutely not true. And he says, there is no law, therefore there is no mark, therefore there is no sin. That's the, his logic. Uh, there's au contraire, my brother. Uh, and before I explain the contraire part, let me read a little more from Aaron. He says, I'm wondering, quote, why you keep referring to sin where you imply that the law is still active. The gay person who emailed you wanted you to say that homosexuality is not a sin. It's not a sin, and when you call it sin, you're denying Christ in the establishment of law once again. The fatal flaw in Aaron's points are when he definitively states there is no law, therefore no mark, therefore no sin. If he's saying this with some qualifiers, I would agree with him, but he has added no qualifiers. And so what he really means across the board is where we come to the au contraire. Right. Jesus not only affirmed the law in the two great commandments, he reiterated them and he connected them to love. This was a commandment of Jesus, a law, if you will. And where there is law, like Aaron says, there is sin. So there can be a failure to hit the mark under the law of love, which Jesus commanded. He commanded uh, a law of love, commandment, law, one and the same, to love. Failure to love in that commandment produces sin. Love who? First commandments love God. Second commandments love each other. Love God, love each other. Don't obey those laws of God and each other. You are guilty of sin. And, and, and that is, is non-disputable. Okay? But love is not the only commandment that uh, Jesus gave uh, in the New Testament. The first commandment for Christians is to believe. That's a commandment. To have faith in Christ Jesus. And, which in, and then the second is love God and love man. So uh, this is supported by 1 John 3.23 where it says, And this is his commandment. Intole, that means an authoritative precept or law. This is his commandment. You ready? That we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave intole, as he gave commandment, all right? So first, faith in Jesus Christ, and then agape love, which proves our faith in Christ. That's how it works. The love Christ demanded was defined by him as first, love God with all our everything, and second, to love our neighbors as ourselves. No law, Aaron? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my intole, my commandment my authoritative precept to love God and love your fellow man. In the face of that intole, that law, there is sin, Aaron. 
You said there is no law, there is no mark, there is no sin. I get it when you're talking about failure in the flesh. But as a Christian, we, under a new covenant, we have a different standard of laws, and those will indict us as failures as Christians if we fail or refuse to keep them. So I'm sorry, my brother, but that is a law and our failures to comply misses the mark of God for his children who are Christian, which is believe on my son, Christians, and love each other and me, or me and each other. That's my law. So where mortal sins of the flesh are over, forgiven, paid for, there is no sin for which we are held accountable for the failures of our flesh. We are not held accountable for the fornication we do. We're held accountable for failing to love the person we fornicate with. Do you see the difference? The, the fornication is forgiven by Christ's shed blood. Failure to trust God with, with things and in faith and to love the person we're fornicating with is a sign that we are not living that commandment to love. And so therefore we miss the mark. I know it's a long, long thing uh, to go around, but you have to in this discussion. So we can and will be guilty as Christians forgiven of our mortal flesh for failures in faith and failures to love God and others. And the results the results for these failures are not punishment. The results for failing in faith and failing to love is not hell. It's not punishment. It is less reward. That's what it is. So understand when you tell somebody out of love and no judgment that if they ask you, is stealing a sin? You say, It's a sin because it's failing to trust God will provide for your needs. Instead, you stole. And it's failing to love the, the, the shopkeeper that you stole from. It's all couched under faith and love now. It's not the act of stealing that's the sin. It's the failure to believe on God's promises that he'll take care of you and to love everybody, including the shopkeeper. I hope that's clear. For it's in these fields that we... So as followers of the king, the fields of faith and love that we sow to the things of the spirit and looking for a harvest after this life to come where God rewards us for our faith and our love does not punish us for our lack of faith and love. He just doesn't reward us as much as he does for those who had a lot of faith and had a lot of love. I'm building a case. Aaron gets to his next point. He says, now there is love. So he agrees with me. And not love. Either we're connected to God and love emanates through us or we're in the dark and either or is never a good way to address an argument. But he gives us an either or. You either are emanating love or you're in the dark. Doesn't work that way in the human race. And there's no love throwing, flowing through us. 
The connection to God is established by our faith, our belief. And I think he's really astute in what he just said there. And I wholly agree. But then he says something contrary. He says, those who judge and call something sin or not sin are disconnected from God for it's impossible to believe in law and be connected to God at the same time where love can flow through us. It's either law or love, but it's not both. I just showed you how that is not true. It's a commandment to love. Whether you feel it or want to do it or not, you obey the command to love. That's, when, that, that's how we know it's a commandment because we aren't all gifted with so much of the Spirit that when someone abuses us, we automatically forgive them. We choose to obey His commandment to exercise love toward that person. And that's how we know that it is a law that's in place upon our hearts by God. He says, um, the requirement to connect with God that his love would flow us is that we reject all law. How can we reject all law when there's clearly a law to believe and to love as Christians? So hear me, this is vital. Let me do this again. This is really important in this case and we're getting through it. Aaron seems to think, and people in this world today seem to think this, that to say something is sin is to uh, cast judgment. That is not the case. Not in my world. Not at all. I tell people all the time when they ask different things, what does the Bible say? Well, it's a sin. It's not a judgment. It's a fact. There's a difference between the two. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not saying you're less than me. I'm not saying you're going to hell. I'm not saying God doesn't love you. I'm not saying you're super evil or bad or whatever. You've asked me, is this a sin? And I say, the Bible says it is. That's it. A fact does not mean you're being judged. So take off the, the girly dress and put on a pair of pants. Because it, that, a fact is a fact. You, we say what the facts are, and if it hurts your people's feelings, too bad. That's what Scripture says, right? So, our flesh cannot help but sin. My flesh sins as much as every homosexual out there. That's the thing that's being ignored here in this conversation. I'm not picking on the homosexual. I'm just saying, when the question's asked, is homosexuality a sin? The Bible says man does not lie with man. Same with same. It doesn't work in the Bible. That's what I'm saying. That misses the mark. It's not throwing a judgment at you. Calm down. It's just saying what the facts are. Now, this is really important to state the facts. The reason why the facts are important in dealing with each other is because God seeks those who have a contrite heart and a broken spirit. He seeks those who have a contrite heart and a broken spirit. If we talk to people and we don't give them the facts, then in their flesh they're able to justify themselves, and there's rarely a contrite heart or broken spirit. 
But if somebody says, is homosexuality a sin? Oh, yeah, it's a sin. And they hear you, guess what? Their heart breaks. They're contrite. And it works on them for their particular deal. And God is able to work through that broken vessel because of the presence of sin. This is how God has the victory. It's the presence of sin where God is shown most powerful. When we remove sin from people's plate and we say, that's not a sin, that's not a sin, that's not a sin, you're fine in your flesh. They're never broken. They're never contrite. And you know what they become? Proud. In fact, the, the segment of people we're talking about in their particular fleshly thing, they even have a parade about pride. It's called the pride parade. That's antithetical to what God wants in his children. It doesn't matter if you screw the dog next door. That is taken care of by Christ. God wants his children to say, I'm so sorry I screwed the dog next door. I'm so sorry I want to screw the dog next door. I mean, that pooch doesn't deserve it, but I just, I just, I just, that's how I was born. I mean, my mom put a poodle in my crib and my dad put a, a Rottweiler uh, near me. And the Rottweiler and I had a relation when I was seven. And I was born that way. And, I can't, and God doesn't care. Do you understand this? He doesn't care because his son paid for Rottweiler sex. He took care of it. It's done. But God wants us to say, we know this misses the mark, Lord. I know my anger toward my neighbor misses the mark. I was born angry. Oh God, please help me. But we are catering to a specific group who say, do not call this a sin. And you know what that is when we do that? That's non-love. I love my gay friends, and I have them so much, I want them to have the contrite heart for who they are and how they were born. We're all born badly, right? So we, we are missing the Christian approach when we become politically correct to not hurt people's feelings. We're going to get to that in the next email. And, and, and we, 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 we're doing it because of our wisdom and not God's wisdom. Do you get it? Homosexuality, the sleeping together, man lying with man, woman with women, has gone on since the beginning. It will continue to go on. God said this world is so messed up. We got men sleeping with each other's wives. We got people who are hurting children. We got all this stuff. I got to send, send my son down there, create a, my son and, and enter him. And he's got to save this lot. And he did it. It's not against you. It's just to say, look at your condition. You don't even have to fix it. Uh, we've never been about fixing sin in, in this place. Never. We've never said you've got to repent and go and change and don't do that again. And if you do, come back and confess. That's never been the case for us. It's always been Jesus paid for that sin. Relax. Just realize who you are in your flesh because what that does is it helps you see the need for a Messiah more deeply. 
the more you're able to see your wretchedness, the, the greater you're able to see the need for a Messiah. And the greater, so in reality, um, I, well, I won't go beyond there, but just understand this concept here. That's what we're talking about when we say homosexuality is a sin. All right. Uh, he said more, but I won't get to it. Next one, Jordan's email really quickly. He said, I saw your show regarding Benny and homosexuality being a sin. Just wanted to reach out and let you know why I believe your stance is damaging to the LGBTQ community and hindering the kingdom of God. Um, it seems you come from a biological stance as in man and woman equals baby. Or this is an act of that this act of homosexuality is clearly off the mark, he says. This is a biased heterosexual perspective. Okay, stop. It's not a perspective. That's not a perspective that man, woman equals baby. That's not a perspective. It's a fact. You need both, or at least what both emit from their body, if it's done in a laboratory, to create a baby. That's not some perspective that's just going to, uh, you know, hurt people. It's reality. That's why we go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are not a perspective. If we didn't have heterosexual couple in that place, we wouldn't have a propagation of species. We wouldn't have homosexuals to be homosexuals. So that is how it misses the mark. All right. And he gives an article below. And he said, uh, he says, in the end, your stance has brought many LGBTQ people to suicide, despair, and ostracization, a word I can never say. I wrote him back and said, I've read your article and, and I added dimension to the topic, but I think you missed the mark when you begin to claim that homosexuality, same lying with same, uh, is a sin that causes LGBTQ to commit suicide. I said, all I can say to that is exactly. Now, don't get that wrong. Don't get it wrong. I added, all our sin, no matter what they are, causes us to long for death. That's it. It causes us to long for death. And as a result of our sin, God uses our sin to reach us. That's how it works. He doesn't reach us when we justify sin. He reaches us when we say, I am so broken over this state that you are there calling to him. And that's when broken heart, contrite spirit. So anytime we take any sort of thing going on in this world and we say, no, 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 it's okay. We are hindering God's ability to help people, whether they remain gay, LGBTQ or not. That's not the issue, right? I hope that's come through uh, clear. So he goes back and we go back and forth and he says, it's ridiculous, it's insane to say that homosexuality, uh, homosexual suicide leads people to God. That is not what I'm saying. Read, I am not saying homosexual suicide leads people to God. I'm saying 
the chagrin we have within us for our natural proclivities leads us to God. That's why we don't remove it from the table before our brothers and sisters who are gay. Uh, and then he brings up a good point. Do you know what suicide is, the context of it, when churches are trying to cleanse homosexuals of sin? There are huge ministries that reach out to homosexuals to get rid of their sin nature. And this has led to huge amounts of depression and suicide. Are you telling me that this is what God wants? Bullshit, he says. The Father of Christ is the giver of life, not death. Okay, again, we're not for straightening up sin. We don't have you know shock treatment therapies in the back. Don't believe someone who comes in here has to change. Uh, have people who are in our ministry, have been for years, uh, Christopher and Arthur, a gay couple, married, cohabitating. I love them. I go to dinner with them with Mary when they come to town. My daughters, they're friends of ours, uh, but they're Christian homosexuals. Guess what? They get it. They say, do you think we, would, do you think we want this? They understand the, the nature of it. They don't want it. Like, you, like, like a pedophile doesn't want what's in them to molest children or, or some other depravity we have in our lives. We don't want it, but it feeds our flesh, so we do it. And, and, and that's the point. So uh, we're not about getting rid of the sin nature. That's an impossibility. The sin nature is a stated fact of the human race. God knew that, sent his son, took care of it, took care of the sin. But again, we then realize and recognize that it is part of our nature and which tells us in our hearts by the Spirit, we know it misses your mark, whatever it is. Help me, Lord, to have relationship with you as a pedophile, as a homosexual, as a heterosexual, as an adulterer, as a whatever I am, fornicator, whatever, right? So ministries and churches aimed at cleansing sin are ridiculous. It's stupidity. And to try to ferret them out and then make sure that they don't commit it again and all that stuff, that's not what we're talking about. Anyway, uh, to, I'll just finalize here. To take the target off the table lends to the opposite of what God wants for his gay children, his gay sons and daughters. He wants them to realize that they're reliant upon him for their salvation in spite of their condition, all right, and, and whatever they were born with. One final thing on this, there was a lot more Jordan said, but I'm not going to belabor it. It's just too much. Um, my friend Dave, my brother Dave, who comes to campus, he was wondering about something, and I'm kind of paraphrasing. He thinks deeper than I do, but something Dave brought up made me uh, think, what do, what do homosexuals, Christian homosexuals or homosexuals, non-Christians, think is sin? Do they think there's sin in this world? And, and where do they get the idea from that something is wrong or something is not? If the Bible... Um, says murder is a sin, um, and you believe that. Why don't you believe when it says man lying with man is a sin? Why don't you agree with that? 
why have you will you use the Bible? This isn't what Dave necessarily said, but why do why will you use the Bible for certain things and declare them as bad or evil? And and yet you will take your specific thing and say it's okay. So for instance, this is sort of what Dave was talking about. What would a what would a homosexual who says homosexuality is not a sin say of two brutes who broke into their home, his home, of him and his lover's home, a husband, tied him up, stole all their material goods. What is that? Is it missing the mark? Would the homosexual say, that's missing the mark of God. That's not right. That's not good. Would they press charges? And then we would say, on what grounds? Where would they get that, that, that idea? And, and they would have to say, well, it's just obviously not right. Or they would say, from the Bible, you know? And so that's a really good question. Why does one group get to say what we do is not missing the mark when the Bible says it is, but what other people do, for instance, to us, he murdered my, my husband, the guy says, that's a sin, that's wrong. Why would, why would we say it is? So it's just some things to get the thoughts going and to disconsider it. But the long, I know I haven't really articulated this well because there's so much to it. I just want to say the purpose of saying that anything is a sin is to help remember what we are in our flesh. We also remember in the same breath, Jesus took care of that sin. We always add that. It's been taken care of. But it helps us to remember what we operate by when it's not by the Spirit. It's by the flesh. And the flesh, there's no good thing, as Paul clearly points out. So we want to live by the Spirit. And because that's what a child of God would do. When we don't, God uses that nature in us to bring us closer to Him through remorse, uh, contrition, and a broken uh, heart. All right, there's only three minutes left. I've kind of rambled with this one, but I just wanted to dialogue with you. I hope you understand my heart. And uh, I will ne if anyone ever asks me the question, is homosexuality of sin, they're going to get a big fat, uh, yes, of course it is. Just like if they ask me, really about, almost about anything we do as, as humans is pretty sin. Almost anything is sinful. So just work it backward. You know, I mean, you're not even supposed to say you fool. That, that's a sin. There's so many things that are sinful in the eyes of a holy God. That's why he sent his son. And to give us a, a, a free pass, a, a break on our flesh. So we don't have to focus on the sin, but we can focus on him. All right, we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.